Our passage tonight is Psalm 23. Some years ago, I was uh, called uh, one evening to go out to the local hospital. Uh, if you have been, not been here in a while, there's for a while, if you haven't been here long enough, if you go out on 34, you'll see what's now a, uh, a nursing school. At the time, it was, a, um, it was a, our local hospital. And so I was called out uh, because, by, to visit with a family whose um, elderly father was in ICU. He had had some sort of an incident. He was non-responsive. Uh, and as I found out more about the situation, he was a believer, uh, but he was too far from home for a pastoral visit. So they asked me to come and, and, and be a pastor to him in his time. But as I said, he was, he was non-responsive. I, I saw the family trying to talk with him and, and, and nothing. So I went to the side of his bed and I spoke to him uh, as if he could hear me. And I explained that was, I was a pastor and that I'd come to read scripture and pray with him. And I told him I wanted to read to him a passage that I was sure he knew, the 23rd Psalm. And so I made a point of reading it in the King James. I thought that would probably be uh, the language in which he learned it from so many times of hearing it. But I just stood there and started reading from the 23rd Psalm. As soon as the words, the Lord is my shepherd, came out of my mouth, he turned, opened his eyes, and fix them on me. I read slowly and thoughtfully through the entire psalm. And when I came to the end of, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he once again closed his eyes. Once again, his family, who had been just in awe, because they were back to saying, Daddy, do you see us? Daddy, nothing. But I was struck by that event. He wasn't, you know, he didn't know my voice. He didn't know me at all. But God's word had so drilled into his heart and mind when those familiar and precious words were read to him, it stirred him as not even the closest family member could. This was his, his father's word. And so right there I saw the, the power of God's word and, and the, especially the power of God's word when it's known by God's people. But since that time, I, I, I often think of that bedside when I come to Psalm 23. And who knows how that psalm in some special way may have ministered over the years of the life of that man. All the funerals he heard, where it was read. But it was a precious opportunity. So we come to that psalm tonight, and that psalm, again, is, is very familiar. Let me just point out to you that I'm going to see a two-point outline tonight. In verses 1 to 4, we will see the, the shepherd. And then in verses 5 to 6, we'll see the host. So the Lord is my shepherd, and the Lord is, if you will, my host. Follow along in your Bible or... Recite in your heart. I'm going to read the New King James, as we do. Though I struggle with it because it just seems right in the King James. <laughs> just like the Lord's Prayer only sounds right in the King James. And I'm sure that's how it was taught by the Lord. A Psalm of David. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for, for you are with me. Your rod and the, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It begins in the title here, and again, that's part of the scripture, a psalm of David. It reminds us that it's a psalm which tells us it's meant for singing, it's musical. But more also, this tells us it's a psalm of David. David gave us the psalm. And that always strikes me as so appropriate because, of course, David was a shepherd. Remember, we saw that early on in his life when Samuel the prophet had come to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. He told Jesse, bring all your sons and, and I will know, God will show me which one is to be the future king of Israel to replace not the ungodly Saul. And Jesse brought his sons and he, he looked at all of them one by one and said, nope, <laughs> this, it isn't one of these. You don't, have, you don't have any other sons. And I always thought, I think that's kind of funny. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so out of his thought that David would be. Where was David? He was out taking care of the sheep. He was shepherding the flock. And it seems like shepherds, a lot of times you would get the sheep to a place of eating and rest. And, you know, you keep your eyes open, but there would be also lots of times of meditation. Did he, at those times, did he bring a harp out and play? Did he just sing? Did he, at that time, is that wasn't sitting there as he thought of his relationship with the Lord and he saw how the sheep trusted him and how he cared for them? Did he think, that's such a picture of my relationship with the Lord? So as a, as a youth and a shepherd, is that when he wrote it? Or <clears throat> later on as a king, when he thought of, again, he saw how God had guided, God had guarded, God had provided and protected. And he thought, just like those sheep when I was a boy. We're not sure when he wrote it, but I would say it reflects the training and experience of his youth. Though, Everyone in Israel at that time would have known what shepherds were like and what their ministry was like to their sheep. But this comes from a shepherd's heart and a shepherd's pen. He begins, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, sometimes you can meditate on a passage of scripture by just emphasizing different words. The Lord and seeing him emphasized. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. As he thinks of the Lord, he think David describes him as a shepherd. Again, that would be something that would be so well known in his culture, and it's a little foreign to us. But the shepherd was one who guided, provided, protected, nurtured, healed, met every need of the sheep because... <clears throat> that was his job. And, and, and sheep were 
desperately dependent. Uh, we, for example, they, they get lost easily. You know, some, like, you know, you hear about these stories of a dog that's lost for three years and finds it. You know, maybe they, they lost it at a camping trip and two years later he's crossed the country and found them. Or, or you'll hear, uh, maybe, you know, hear some other animals like that that somehow find their way home. Um, birds that, we, we saved the life of a sparrow. <laughs> and for, um, for quite some time it would come back to our apartment and we would feed it. Until one of the feline neighbors got a hold of it, but I won't go there. But, but some animals can find their way, can, can, can take care of themselves. Sheep can't. They get lost. They, they won't find their way to water. They won't find their way to, to grass. They, I, I showed a, a video on Wednesday night of a lamb that had rolled over on its back. And sometimes they stumble in that way, but, but, but often they, get, they itch. And, and so they roll on their back so they can scratch it, but they, they literally cannot get back off their back. And, and the reality is that, that in a, especially in warm weather conditions, um, they can die within hours. <clears throat> and so the shepherd, when he, especially when he's moving a sheep, he's constantly looking, are all the sheep accounted for? And he's watching. A sheep on its back is, is in danger of death. And there's nothing he can do for it. And he'll roll that sheep over. The amazing thing is, he'll probably have to do it again. And, and so sheep are, are notoriously not so bright. And so that's kind of, which is something for us to think about when the Lord calls us his sheep. <clears throat> They're not too bright. They have no defense mechanisms. They don't, they don't, don't have, you know, they don't bite. They don't defend themselves. And I've spoken with some who have been frustrated because wild dogs got into the flock and the sheep don't even run. And so when I say all those things, when we say that the Lord is my shepherd, the idea is I'm so desperately dependent. And so the shepherd's job was to care for all of those needs. Watch for their health, watch for their food, watch for their guidance, watch for their care. Um, the Lord is the shepherd. And, and all of that is meant. And then he goes on to say he is my shepherd. Wouldn't it be natural if you, were, if you were one of the sheep to say he's our shepherd? You know, we see ourselves as a flock. And, you know, we, we're told to pray to God, our father. And that's, that rem, that's intentional. That's reminding us that we're not alone. We're part of a family. He, he's our father. But David is emphasizing here, my shepherd. Amazingly, shepherds would know their flock and recognize them. And, and part of their, their regular practices, they would pass them under their, their shepherd's crook, and they'd one by one, and they'd watch them. And that would be, you know, that's how they could pick up something's wrong here, saw a limp, oh, I see a sore there, whatever it might be. They, 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 but one by one, they would recognize them. They would know them. And so here with all these bunch of of sheep, yet the shepherd knew them by name and cared for them individually and personally. And so what David is reminding us is the Lord in his, in his majesty is, is able to protect us, provide for us, guide us, and more. But then he reminds us of the Lord's personal care. He's my shepherd. 
as if I were the only sheep in the flock. Do you remember the story when um, the prophet came, Nathan came to uh, David to confront him with the sin of Bathsheba? And, and, he, st- and he does it by, by telling a story. Um, there was a, a, sh- a shepherd who had just one sheep. It was the, like the family pet. And, and, and so he, I mean, he, he lived with the family and all that. Uh, well, someone came and visited the, the landlord, the, the nobleman. And, and so the landlord, rather than sacrifice one of his sheep to feed his guests, he took the sheep from that poor little farmer and, and, and fed it to his guest. David was outraged. This man deserves to die. Well, again, he, he's speaking as a shepherd. He knows what it is to, oh, their only lamb, and he took, what, what kind of a scoundrel? But the point is, that shows us he understands a shepherd's heart for the, each little lamb. And he says, and the Lord is my shepherd. I'm just not one of the flock. He cares for me. And so as we're thinking of the psalm, that's something to remember. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, what will be clear, especially if you go on into, say, John 10, where Jesus says, you know, my sheep hear my voice. He's my shepherd if I know him as my savior. When I trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, when I recognize my sin and I come to him, um, he saves me by grace through faith. And I am then one of his flock. I am his sheep. But he cares for us with our failings. Maybe, maybe we find ourselves on our back again. And, and still, he cares for us. He cares for me. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. And again, that word want is, is an unfortunate, well, it, it conveys in our language today that we pick up from that. I won't want anything. But we all want stuff. The word here for want is I shall not lack. And that's different. And what this is saying is the Lord will provide for our needs. Our needs will be met. But that may not be the same as our wants. And I think we need to have a different expectation there. And so in that, we can see God's provision tells me what my needs are. And later on, if you think about it, when we'll get to the valley of the shadow of death, even that is part of God meeting our needs. So the fact that he meets all my needs doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life. Because, frankly, he knows that it's in hardship that we grow and are strengthened. Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside the still waters. Um, again, part of the, one of the most fundamental issues for a shepherd is to care for the, the nutrition of his sheep. If they don't eat, they don't produce, they don't survive, a good nutrition is vital to, to productive sheep. Food and water. The word green here, by the way, is better translated grass. He leads me to pastures where there's grass. Um, And that's especially in the Middle Eastern setting, in the Judean hills where David shepherded. You wander around there and you will sometimes say, you know, I've told you before, I've, I've been down in some of those areas and 
and it seems like utter wilderness. There's nothing here. And I'll go around the corner. There's a flock of sheep and apparently eating. Their, ha- their head is down there and among the, they, they're finding things to eat. So, you know, we often think of the green pastures as the Scottish Highlands. You know, when the sheepdog lies down, it disappears. The grass is so abundant. That's not these days. And so it's an it's a important thing. The shepherd knows where the, the grass pastures are. Now, in the spring, it is more abundant. But that changes seasonally in Israel. But he knows. He guides to where the water He knows where the water is. The quiet water. Sheep are so fearful that um, they're easily disturbed. I remember we were, I've mentioned this story too, one time back in New England, and we were, we saw a little, I don't know if you'd even call it a, a flock, a small group of sheep by the fence. And one of my little daughters, she couldn't have been more than four years old, went running up to the fence to see the cute little sheep. They, each one of them outweighed her probably four to one at least. But they, in terror, ran away. Here was this flock that could have run on over her and ground her into the ground. But they were terrified at this fast-moving little girl, and they ran. Sheep are fearful. And so if the water is all, you know, it's, if it's a white water river, they're not going to get close to it. So he, he knows how to guide me to the, the still streams, to the, to the shepherds, to the sheep fields where there is green and that provision of, again, food and water, that's, that's his job. When I th- thought about this passage, I was reminded of the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Remember the, the last appearance that's recorded in John when uh, the Lord cooks a fish meal for the disciples. Remember that? And uh, they come in and they're having this meal. And the Lord, it, it's a time of restoration for, for Peter. Uh, Peter denied the Lord three times, and three times the Lord reaffirms him in this post-resurrection appearance. But it says, uh, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And later on he'll say, tend or shepherd my sheep. And then later, feed my sheep. And so here he's talking about his, his ministry to God's people. And, and he uses the picture of the shepherd. And the, the, the biggest part of that is feed them. Meet their needs. But especially feed them God's word. Tend them is the idea of shepherding. And that's that when he says, you, the second one he says, tend my sheep. And that's the word, you could, it's the word for shepherd. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. But that word shepherding, one of the biggest meanings of it is to feed to provide nurture. And so our Lord knows our needs, physical, emotional, spiritual, and it's his job to take care of our needs. He leads us and we must follow. When he makes provision, we must welcome it, take it. And that's the other part of it. So we might say, well, the Lord's going to meet all my needs, therefore I do nothing. Well, the Lord meets your needs by leading you to the green pasture. And to the still water, what that implies is you follow him. And so it's, it's not enough that he makes the provision, but we must receive and take in the provision. 
Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That word restore can have two meanings. It could mean to return, and it's related to the word repentance, or it can mean refresh. Both of those words, the translate, the, both of those <clears throat> ideas can, can come out of this word. And it may, it may be something like that. The Lord returns. He restores his sheep. Remember Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We go astray. It's the Lord's job to restore us, to return us. Sometimes God's sheep, his people, go astray. They sin. They stumble. They backslide. Uh, there's lots of ways we could express that. And sometimes we think, oh, the Lord won't have me back, or here I've done it again. It's well been said, the Lord never tires of our new beginnings. It's the Lord's ministry to restore his sheep. Uh, that can be expressed, for example, you see it in Isaiah 49.5. Now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. How often God reached out and pulled Israel back. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The Lord restores us to himself. The Lord is my shepherd. He, he restores my soul. But, but also can have the sense of refreshing. In Proverbs 25, 13, we see it this way. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest. Now you think about it. If you, frankly, if you had snow in time of harvest, that would devastate you. There goes the harvest. But uh, this is the best way of saying, if you had ice cream in a time of harvest, or a cold uh, drink, uh, sometimes when it's really hot, and uh, there's nothing like a glass of iced coffee, and, and just to refresh for a little bit, so he says, like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. That idea of refresh, like a, like a cold drink on a hot, tired day. It's that, that refreshing sense, it's the same word. Lamentations 1-11, all her people sigh, they seek bread, they have given their valuables for food to restore life. And so that's, you know, you know sometimes you're, you're, you're totally wiped out and you're refreshed. So the Lord restores my soul. He, he brings me to repentance. The Lord refreshes my soul. soul. He reinvigorates me after times of discouragement or weariness. The shepherd knows what our soul needs and he, and he provides it. And spiritual restoration from the Lord always leads us in the right direction. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord leads us in paths of righteousness. And so part of it, you know, he's, he's bringing us the lost sheep. He brings it back and sets us back on the right path. He restores us by getting us on the path that will lead to water and to green grass. The Lord leads 
his people. That's, that's something I've, I've talked to people sometimes, and they're saying, I really need guidance. I need wisdom. It's, it's the Lord's job to guide you. It's the Lord's job to lead you. Trust him. Look to him. Get in his word. Seek counsel and follow him. But, but one of the clues is, is this the Lord's guidance? Simple test. Is it a path of righteousness? And I mentioned, and, and I've mentioned before, I, I've grieved sometimes where, where people will say, well, I, I know the Bible says this is wrong, but, but God's given me such a peace about it. You may feel a peace, but God didn't give you that peace. He leads in the paths of righteousness. God always guides in righteousness. And so if, if, if you're thinking, well, well, and I've heard the excuse, well, God, God caused this situation to, to come into my life. Surely he meant me to, to follow it. Well, God is sovereign. This wouldn't have come without his uh, sovereign will. But God sovereignly, as a matter of fact, it says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. But that didn't mean he was supposed to follow Satan. He was supposed to be tested and, 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 and show his character in the trial. But God always guides us in righteousness. And I, I've shared before, Barb's had a saying that I've heard throughout our just short of 37 years of marriage. There's, there's always a right thing to do. What's the right thing to do? God, that's that's a, a good clue right there. Of where's the Lord guiding you? He leads me in paths of righteousness. And then just one other thing to notice. For his name's sake. Ultimate purpose of our lives. And we go, this takes us back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Chism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is... To be happy. That's the uh, woke minister catechism. <laughs> uh, no, it's the chief end of man. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. He leads me in the paths of righteousness so that I can be a vessel of his glory. Do you remember that uh, movie uh, Chariots of Fire of the, of er about Eric Little? And his sister's really wrestling. They, they grew up in missions, uh, family in China and and Eric, what are you doing with all this running? And he says, I don't quite understand it. But, you know, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his glory. And it's remarkable to me that Hollywood produced the life story of a, of a, of a missionary who wouldn't run on the Lord's Day. And, and when he had opportunity, preached Christ. And, and, you know, you watch that movie and think, this, who produced this? Is this, this is coming out of Hollywood? Because they could, they're, they, they're struck by the character of a person of conviction. God leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He wants to show his glory. And, and frankly, we are not glorified when we're not on the path of righteousness. I had a friend that used to go into areas where you shouldn't go. And um, he would meet people there and evangelize them, hand them tracts. And one time he was there and, and this fellow and said, oh, oh, that's great. I, yeah, I go to this church. And he said, you're a Christian? He said, yeah, what are you doing here? <laughs> and so he evangelized this churchgoer. 
what are you doing? You're not in the paths of righteousness. God's glory is seen. God wants to show his glory by leading us in the paths of righteousness. Now, verses 5 and 6, I see a change. Some want to say this must continue the, the shepherd motif, maybe. I think it better fits another sacred motif uh, in the Middle East, and that's hospitality. In the Middle Eastern world, hospitality is, is, is a sacred responsibility and a sacred trust. If someone comes to your door, you welcome them and you care for them. I've shared with you before one time when I was up in Bethlehem, which is a, uh, not Bethlehem, up in Nazareth, which is a, uh, an Arabic, predominantly Arabic town. And um, I was knocking on the door to visit with someone, and they weren't home. Someone down the hall in the apartment building uh, opens the door and says, they're not home. I said, okay, thank you. Oh, would you like a cup of tea? And my first thought was, uh, but I thought, oh, wait a minute, hospitality. I, do I need to, can I decline this? Is, would that be an insult? I didn't, so I said, oh, okay, thank you. And so I was invited in and waited. It's, it's long, I think, you know, they must have been planting the tea, tea plants. It took forever. But then finally, out came several platters of food. Um, and, and there was some kind of meat, and I didn't ask what it was. Um, but, but all kinds of, and then at the very end of it, here comes the tea. They didn't know me from the man in the moon. But here was a stranger uh, in their building. And I was brought in for hospitality. And that so spoke to me. Well, so he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Um, you know, some have suggested this looks back to the time when David had to flee Jerusalem. His, his brother, his son Absalom had raised up a revolution and, and David had to flee. And one of David's supporters gathered together a, a, a pile of, of, of food supplies and met him on the way and said, here, and, and he, he, he provided a feast for all those who were hurriedly fleeing. Maybe David's thinking of that when he writes this. But the point is, even in the midst of the dangers around me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. But before I get to that, I need verse 4, don't I? <laughs> Did you see I skipped it? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That, for you are with me, uh, your rod and your staff... They comfort me. Um, the, 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 the word valley of the shadow of death, um, a valley, of course, suggests a, a, night, a, a narrow, tight place, no place to run. And the shadow of death suggests a, a deathly dark, a place of danger, a place of darkness, a place of fear. And sheep don't like those kinds of places. And their, vi their vision is not very good, so the slightest motion would terrify them. And it's at a time like that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And here's something to remember. The shepherd who guides us in the paths of righteousness guides us into the path of the valley of shadow of death sometimes. So that's my point. I'll have no lack of what I need the shepherd always guides, but sometimes the path is uphill. Sometimes the way is narrow and dark and fearful and dangerous. 
But in that place of fear, in that place of danger, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I don't need to be afraid because the shepherd is with me. And then he mentions the two implements of a, of a shepherd. The, the shepherd's staff is the, the, the curved crook. And that's what they would use to, to grab the lamb and, and pull him to a safe place. It's, it's, so that was used as a, as a rescue. When they're stuck in something, you could hook that on them and pull or uh, get them out of a pit. The rod is more like a club, and that was a weapon. When David talks about, hey, I, I, I've met wild animals and fought them off. Well, the club would be something you might hurl at a, at a wild dog or something. It was a, and so be, between the staff and the rod in the hands of the shepherd, I have nothing to fear. It may be a fearful place, but I have nothing to fear. This verse is the center of the psalm. Do you notice that? In terms of just the, the concept here, verse 4. And, and, and there's a transition here. And some even say this is a, 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 thir- a third point. There's the, the shepherd, the companion, and the host. But I think this is the shepherd guiding us through the, the dangerous place. But it's also, a, a, there's a dramatic change in pronouns. Up to now, David's been describing the Lord as he, he, he. Now it's you. And that reminds us that in difficult times, often... We draw near to the Lord in a special way. We, we see him more closely and we know his presence more sweetly because we need him so deeply. One way of describing the valley of the shadow of death that many see in it, this is the place where we're on the valley on the way to death. Um, and that can be it or it can just be a, a deathly fearful place. But in those difficult times, and I've often prayed with families in a very difficult and dangerous time, or, or, or as it appears, death is on its way, I've often prayed with them and for them that they would know God's presence in a special way. And that's what the psalmist is saying. In this time of darkness, in this time of dreadful fear, you're no longer a he, it's you. Fears can, wrongly responded to, fears can drive the Lord out of our mind. We, we focus on the fear. But the shepherd keeps his eye, or the sheep keeps his eye on the shepherd. And there's the shepherd, and he's got everything I need. He's got his, his staff, and he's got his rod. He knows where he's going. I'll just stay close to the shepherd, and I'll be okay. But that's the key. I think David has been through many a time of danger in his life. And he says, Lord, my comfort in danger is you are with me. You are with me. And so when you are going through those hard times, those difficult times, ask the Lord to help you to see and know his presence. Be assured of it. That in the hard times, the Lord draws near. So, yea, though I walk, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I'll fear no evil, no harm. Now, 
Many walk through the valley of, shef, uh, valley of the shadow of death, and it leads them to death. But it's no evil. It's not a harm. Um, it's the door to heaven for God's people. And so to trust the Lord that what he brings is good. And most importantly, that in that time of hardship, he is near. I've shared recently, I um, was reminded so much of the story of um, the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs and, and how he, uh, Pastor Wormbrandt, Brandt, uh, suffered terribly. He was in prison for 12 years, tortured for Christ. Um, 12 years of, of abuse and injustice could easily lead a person into bitterness. But his testimony afterwards was, you know what, in prison, it was beautiful. Because in prison, I saw the Lord every day. And so he had no bitterness. He had no resentment. He saw the Lord moving in lives. He, he saw the Lord who, who could part the Red Sea, parting hearts and bringing people to eternal salvation. And so to him, he looked back on those brutal years and said, it was beautiful because I saw the Lord. That's, that's where we want to be. Another story reminds me of a fellow who had been a part of Navigator's ministry for years, discipled countless people, led them to the Lord, grew them in the Lord, and he was dying in his hospital room. And one after another of, of people he had discipled would bring their unsaved friends to that hospital room and say, I want you to see something. I want you to see what a believer who's dying looks like. Countless lost met the Savior in that hospital room when they saw what the eyes of faith looked like when they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. God wants to show his glory for his name's sake. And the way we can do that is to keep our eyes on him. And then know he's with us. Okay, now, now I think I can go to the host. <clears throat> you prepare a table before me. There's that hospitality. Um, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. And so I've mentioned again, this is a sacred responsibility. The one in your ho in, the, who's in your home, you, 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 you feed them, you care for them, you honor them, you protect them. They're in your home, no one can harm them. That's your sacred duty. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. Again, for us, that's, a, that's an awful thought. Uh, the last thing I want to do if I go to your home is to have you bring out an, a, a bottle of olive oil and pour it on my head. Uh, like, what is this? Is this some kind of a prank? But, but in those, I think in that culture is two things it did. You come in really hot, and it might feel comfortable just to feel a little something there. But, but I often think of the... Um, the experience of teaching maybe a, a, a children's class and they've just come out from a summer recess. Have you ever noticed what, what now fills the room? There's this fragrance. And so maybe if you have a nicely spiced bit of oil to drop on someone's head, it kind of helps uh, them feel comfortable. 
In Luke chapter 7, verses 44 to 47, Jesus was in a home and a, and a woman of an immoral background came and anointed him, his feet. Uh, the host was shocked. How could he let a woman like that touch him? And Jesus said in verse 44, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins are forgiven. For she has loved much. In other words, she's shown her faith. She's shown that she understands her forgiveness by the love she's expressing. But here's the point. You notice he says, if you were truly my host, you would have anointed my head with oil. Well, when we in the Lord's home, we're anointed. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Um, now, there's, the, there's the, the, the bounty of provision. Um, this is the person who, who puts the whole Coke bottle right there by your glass and says, you're all you want. And one of the things I had to wrestle with, and you, you go to Europe and you get a cup of coffee. And it kind of covers the bottom of the cup. And you, know, you look in there and say, I didn't ask for a, a taste. I was asking for a cup. But, well, they, drink, they don't drink as much in, in the volume that we do. But the, the picture here is God's, you know, he, he'll load up and load up and load up until you have to say, please, please stop. That reminds me of God's grace in our lives. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. That was Ephesians 1, 7, and now 1, 18. 1, 18. The eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Chapter 2, verse 7 of Ephesians, that he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. Ephesians 2, 7. So the idea of our cup overflows with the richness of God's grace. Do we, do we see God that way in our lives? Do we see him as a, as a shepherd who cares for every need? Do we see as a host that, that, that won't sit still because he's constantly running about caring to make sure that we are overly cared for? He delights to bless us and is gracious and abundant in his mercies to us. And that's, if you were in, in, in church this morning... I said, notice that song, Jesus, thank you. And what, where do I see it applying to this song? Here. In the chorus, it says, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Isn't that amazing? I was an enemy of Jesus Christ. And now, I'm an honored guest at his table. I mean, again, in the biblical, in the Middle Eastern world, that is huge. I've gone from an enemy at the point of the spear to an honored guest at your table. That's, that's the salvation. Verse 6, 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
goodness and mercy will follow after. That's a weak translation. It's not follow. Literally, the word has the idea of, of to chase. It's an aggressiveness. In Psalm 1, when it says the, the chaff is, is blown away, that's the word, same word here. Uh, it's, it's, it's a picture of they're not going to let go of me. They're going to chase after me. They're going to pursue me. Goodness and mercy. The Lord does not parcel out his goodness and mercy. Our cup overflows. Our head drips with the the oil of gladness. Goodness and mercy are chasing me to bless me. Kind of reminds me of the sheepdog that that drives on the sheep to the place of God's blessing. Always present, always blessing. Mr. Spurgeon has a good thought here. These twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and at my beck. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended. So it is with the believer. Goodness and mercy follow him always, all the days of his life. The black days as well as the bright days. The days of fasting as well as the days of feasting. The dreary days of winter as well as the bright days of summer. Goodness supplies our needs and mercy blots out our sins. And then, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord, hospitality. In one sense, what he's saying is, I will never leave my host. Once I've been brought to his table, this is my home. And so the place of God's comfort and blessing is unceasing. Again, Spurgeon said, A servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. While I am here, I will be a child at home with my God. The whole world shall be his house to me. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, death, I shall not change my company, nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. So our, our life lived on earth is lived in God's house as his guest at his table. That's our life. That's what our, our families, our homes should look like. That's what our church should be like. God's home, a place of God's bounty. So while we're alive, we're in the Father's house and at his table. But there's a greater sense, too, where, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, speaks of our eternal home in his presence. And honestly, it only gets better. It only gets better. I mentioned on Wednesday night when I think of this, I'm, I'm reminded of that uh, gospel song, Beulah Land. I'm kind of homesick. This is the beginning lines. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. What an expression. I'm homesick and I've never even been there. But it's my home. It's my home. This place, I'm just a stranger passing through. I'm kind of homesick for my ultimate home. In closing, I'd like to read one more story. There was once a Shakespearean actor who was known everywhere for his one-man show 
of reading and recitation of the classics. He would always end his performance with a dramatic reading of Psalm 23. Each night, without exception, as the actor began his recitation, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, the crowd would listen attentively. And then at the conclusion of the psalm, they would rise in thunderous applause and appreciation of the actor's incredible ability to bring the verse to life. But one night, just before the actor was to offer his customary recital of Psalm 23, a young, young man from the audience spoke up. Sir, do you mind if tonight I recite Psalm 23? The actor was quite taken aback by this unusual request, but he allowed the young man to come forward and stand front and center on the stage to recite the psalm, knowing that the ability of this unskilled youth would be no match for his own talent. With a soft voice, the young man began to recite the words of the psalm. When he finished, there was no applause. There was no standing ovation, as at other nights. All that could be heard was the sound of weeping. The audience had been so moved by the young man's recitation that every eye was full of tears. Amazed by what he had heard, the actor said to the youth, I don't understand. I have been performing Psalm 23 for years. I have a lifetime of experience and training. But I've never been able to move an audience as you have tonight. Tell me, what is your secret? The young man quietly replied, Well, sir, you know the psalm. I know the shepherd. And the message to each of us tonight is, Do you know the shepherd? Are you walking with him? Our Lord Jesus Christ you yourself declare to us, you are the good shepherd. You lay down your life for your sheep. You're no thief that sneaks in. You're the door. You're a shepherd. You're a guardian. You're a provider. You're a guide. Lord, I pray for each one here in this room. May they know your presence. May they know your guidance. May they know your strength. May they know your comfort. I pray that, Father, for our church family. And Father, for each one who will hear these words. May our shepherd, our gracious host, fill our hearts with confident assurance, joyful gratitude, fearless faith, and a happy obedience walking in your paths for your name's sake. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.